So we had the topic of elders introduced in the passage from Titus that we were looking at last week at verse 5 of Titus chapter 1. And we saw that Titus has a mighty job on his hands on the island of Crete. There are major problems in the churches there. The island population has a notorious culture. And to be a faithful Christian in Crete meant swimming against a very powerful tide. Now, some rivers are slow moving and the flow of water is quite easy to resist. But if you've ever stood on the promenade at Otterspool, alongside the Mersey at the peak of its tidal flow, you'll have seen the speed and the power of that water as it surges in and out of the estuary. You could never hope to stand on your feet in the middle of that torrent. And such is life on the island of Crete for Christians. And the tide of cultural norms from which the Cretan believers must be transformed and against which they must stand, well, it's immense. In many ways, of course, it's just like our own day. Nothing's changed. The, the specific things might alter, but the tide has always been strong against the Lord's people, always will be. But Paul is in no doubt that it can nevertheless be done. What they first of all need is God's blueprint for the church to be actively and diligently applied. God has given a blueprint for his church, how church is to be organized and structured. He doesn't leave us to make things up for ourselves and the blueprint that God has given has to be diligently applied to church life. And it, to, it begins on the island of Crete by putting into place something which is glaringly lacking. There are no elders in the churches there. Last week we saw the qualifications for elders. I hope you were able to see that those things that are mentioned are primarily, primarily concerned with character and graces which result in godly conduct. What a man is like, not what you think a man is capable of, is what counts. Now, character, that's not the kind of thing that the world takes too much notice of today, is it? It's not how the world judges people. The world is concerned with personality. Actually, no, the world is obsessed with personality. And that's a very different thing to character. As Christians, we retain our individual personalities. But we all have growing within ourselves new family characteristics. The family of God characteristics. Meanwhile, the world obsesses over personality, ability, achievement, past successes, future vision and ambition. We want a pastor who is going to wow us. A pastor who we can boast about. A pastor who we can be proud of. And discover too late that actually we are indeed boasting about the pastor when we should be boasting about Christ. That happens in churches, you know. And we can discover that our hearts 
are overflowing with pride because, well, look at our pastor. It sometimes gets close to that, too close to that in Christian circles if we're not careful. Character and graces, godly conduct, they're the things you're looking for. They're the things that God is looking for in every Christian, male or female, elder or member. Character and graces and godly conduct, that's what counts. But going back to elders, what exactly do they do? What are they to do? Well, this letter provides us with some insight, particularly as um, we'll see this evening, as Paul gives Titus encouragement as to how to address some of the issues that are there. But this morning, I want us, to, as I said, to pause in the letter a little to consider this issue of eldership and having seen the kind of men that they ought to be, ask ourselves two further questions about elders. What do they do and how are they to do it? And I've got 15 points, which is probably a record for me, and 30 minutes. So we've got to average two minutes per point and we'll be done in half an hour. Here we go. Elders, question one, what do they do? Well, they are to shepherd the church of God, which Christ purchased with his own blood. They are to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherds, that's a great analogy. The word shepherd isn't used very often, but it's a wonderful picture of what a shepherd does. To be a shepherd speaks of two main things, primarily, surely. It speaks of protection and it speaks of provision. Protect the, the flock and provide for the flock. Protecting them, guarding them from anything and everything that might threaten to cause them harm. Guard and protect. There are dangers facing the sheep. And without the shepherd, the sheep are vulnerable and open to attack. There are enemies of the flock who want to steal the sheep away. They need protecting. There are sheep who through carelessness or through willful disobedience are prone to wandering away and they need to be kept from doing that. Provision. Sheep need good pasture. They need attention to their welfare. And so elders must ensure that the sheep have good provision for healthy growth and development. Elders are to be shepherds of the flock. A church without elders would be a little bit like a school without teachers. Imagine what a school would be like if it went a whole term with any teachers present. Anarchy, chaos, and certainly no learning. The children would be free to do whatever they wanted. They probably wouldn't complain too much. Well, not at first anyway. Probably they actually would soon start to complain. Imagine a whole, a whole school year without teachers and in the last week of term, Ofsted arrive. What are they going to find? A church without elders? It develops into a free-for-all. And it's usually the loudest voices and the biggest personalities that win. Interestingly, many of the pastors who I've met over the years are absolutely not the loudest voices and, or the biggest personalities but they do have the character that's required and God uses them 
because God's ways are not the ways of the world. So shepherding is a really helpful summary of the role of an elder in a church. But the Bible says many things about what elders are to do. So here's another nine things that shepherds do. They teach. They teach. They're to be given to the ministry of the word. They're to instruct the brethren in these things. They're those who labor in the word and doctrine. They're to teach and exhort to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. They're to convince, rebuke, exhort. And they're to do it with all long-suffering and teaching. And the opening verse of Titus 2, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. They are to be teachers. Now the qualifications for deacons, which are recorded in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you actually have a look through there, you'll see that really the qualifications for deacons are more or less identical to that of elders because being a deacon is as much a spiritual work in the life of the church as an elder is. The main difference is that the elders have responsibility for teaching. They have responsibility for guarding the word of God within the church. Now, it may well be that a deacon is also apt to teach, but an elder must be not necessarily preaching in a formal way like this not necessarily that but they must be those who can sit down with an open bible with church members and guide and lead and direct through the word of god they must be able to do that why by the word because only the scriptures will make an unbeliever wise to salvation A man doesn't do that, the scriptures do, under the Holy Spirit. Only the scriptures can properly equip a believer for godly living. The elder himself actually doesn't do that, the scriptures do. To know what is right, to know what is wrong. To know how to get yourself right, to know how to stay right. Teach the scriptures. Because through the scriptures, thirdly, people are equipped The scriptures will equip you. Pastors and teachers exist in churches for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But what can those pastors and teachers teach that will bring that equipping? All they have in their hands is the word of God. And that will equip the flock. Paul said to Timothy that through the scriptures the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything that you need is in the Bible. There is nothing outside of the Bible that you need as a Christian to equip you. You don't need anyone's fancy ideas or philosophies or strategies or opinions. Everything you need to be equipped as a Christian is in the Scriptures. Do you believe that? It's true. Equip means complete furnishing. Make sure everything that ought to be present is present. Finish it completely. Leave nothing undone. When I was a young lad, I used to enjoy making airfix models, aeroplanes, of course. Every piece has to be put in its proper place. Only then is it thoroughly furnished. 
but everything is there that I need. What needs to be done is to put every piece in its proper place and it's finished. That's the work of the elder with the word, with the word of God. Every piece being put in its proper place that you might be equipped and furnished for every good work that God will ever call you to do. The elders themselves don't equip you. They take you to that which will equip you, which is the scriptures. And so that this may continue through all future generations, we have this exhortation from Paul to Timothy that you must commit this to faithful men so that they can teach others also. And the baton gets handed on to the next age and the next generation. There's to be no new invention from one generation to the next. Commit these truths, this gospel, that they might go on proclaiming these truths and this gospel so that this gospel might endure and that all future churches are thoroughly equipped for every good work. They're to teach the scriptures. And along with equipping goes edifying, building up. In Ephesians 4, it's pastors and teachers, first for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, then for the edifying of the body of Christ. And there's a progression there. The elders are to teach the word so that you might be equipped, so that you can do the edifying amongst yourselves. If you read that verse carefully, that's exactly what is taught there. Church elders ensure that through teaching that equips the members to serve, the whole body may be edified by those serving members so that you can minister to one another, so that you can edify one another, so that you don't just sit there on a Sunday, look at the guy at the front and say, go on then. No. At the end of my sermon, I look at you and say, go on then. That's how it works, you see. I don't actually do that, do I? But that's the principle. Maybe I should do that more often. Go on then. As each member is taught, that member is being equipped to serve. As that member serves, the body is strengthened and nourished. This is God's blueprint for church life. There's another function for elders, exhorting and correcting and disciplining. Ooh, the bristles on the back of the neck start to rise. Elders are described as those who admonish you. Correcting those who are in opposition. Those who convince, those who rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. It's all part of the teaching. It's not separate. It's all part of the teaching. It's all done through the Scriptures. Any rebuke must come through the Scriptures. Any correction must come through the Scriptures. And as we'll read in Titus, exhort and convict those who contradict, even to the point where you reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. 
someone who just will not listen, someone who refuses to respond out of the church. You've no place here. Harsh. The church is Christ's church. It has to be kept pure. The flock have to be protected. If there was a real shepherd with real sheep, and he knew that one of those sheep was actually a real wolf in sheep's clothing, he wouldn't put up with it. The wolf would be dealt with. Because the shepherd can see through the sheep's clothing and sees the wolf. Has to be done in churches sometimes. <coughs> to admonish means to put in mind. You see, it's teaching. Put in their mind the scriptures. Put the scriptures in their mind. Through the scriptures, they'll, they'll see their own error. But it must always be the scriptures. You see, the only authority that elders have is the word of God. The only authority that we have is to bring the word of God to you and say, this is what the Bible teaches and explain it and apply it. It's a weighty thing to be an elder. It's a weighty thing. They're to guard. Elders have three main things they have to guard. First thing they have to guard is doctrine. Make sure that they teach no other doctrine. Take heed to the doctrine. Continue in doctrine. Guard what's being committed to your trust. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Hold the faithful word fast. You see, there is a known, there is an identifiable, there is a definable body of truth that has to be protected and applied in church life. It has a certain vocabulary. It conveys a very specific message. It has a very definite meaning. And that, those things must never be altered. They must never be tampered with. They must never be violated. It has to remain complete and whole and undiluted and undivided and undefiled. And within the church, the elders bear the responsibility of passing on what is taught this truth. Guard it. They're to guard themselves and they're to guard the flock against error and against false teachers. Great passage in Acts chapter 20 where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders and he's about to say goodbye to them and he'll never see them again. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which is among you. God's made you overseers over them. Shepherd them. It's one of those passages where he exhorts them. Shepherd them. Know this. Know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. We'll see more about this tonight. Shepherd them. The danger of moving away from God's truth is immense. The temptation to tolerate false teaching and be taken in by false teachers is enormous. You might not think so, but you'd be amazed. The church, without elders to guard it, is in real peril. To have those who can recognize error, those who will stand and point it out, those who will teach so that it can be avoided. It's crucial in the life of every local 
church. And thirdly, they are to guard the souls of the flock. They watch out for your souls. On a beach in the summertime, when most people are relaxing, taking it easy, enjoying themselves, unwinding, mostly oblivious to any potential dangers, there are those who remain in a state of permanent vigilance, watching out over them. Lifeguards. They expect trouble. They're on the lookout for trouble. They're on the lookout for those who are in peril. Sometimes they can spot potential danger before it actually comes to anything and they avert a tragedy. Sometimes someone's already got, got themselves into a perilous situation and to the rescue they go. We've got to save that one. So are the elders in a church. They're watching out for your souls. They are to pray. They are to give themselves to prayer. It's interesting actually, I'd never really noticed it before. Prayer isn't mentioned at all in Paul's letter to Titus. <laughs> Maybe that's a mark of the man that Paul already knows Titus to be. That he knows that actually isn't something Titus needs to be reminded about. But elders are to be those who give themselves to prayer and to the word. They're their two main priorities in, in church life. Prayer and the word of God. Because every church needs diligent, faithful prayer. We're not, we're not like any other organization on the, face, on the face of the planet. Church, Christ's church is unique. We don't function like other organizations do. We're not governed like other organizations are governed. We're completely different. And we need prayer. The elders are to give themselves to pray. They are to rule and oversee. They're those who are over you, says the Bible. It talks about those elders who rule well. And it really is the word rule. The Holy Spirit who's made you overseers, serving as overseers. And it says to church members, obey those who rule over you and be submissive to them. Of all the things said about elders, uh, ruling is probably the one thing that gets church members most squirming in their seats. You talk about ruling, you immediately find yourself becoming very defensive, a little bit suspicious. Obeying, submitting. Well, the thing is, all of us have a natural tendency to despise authority and to despise accountability. Who are you to tell me how to live or behave? Who are you to criticise or judge me? I'll tell you. Those who've been appointed under God to set in order things that are lacking, that's who. But we only have the word of God to do it. And in a minute, we'll be looking at how it has to be done. But there is this aspect of ruling. Some might say, it's enough that I'm under God and accountable to him. Really? 
It's not what the Bible teaches. But it is the taught and preached word of God that is the elder's authority. And this is one of the reasons, um, amongst many, why plurality of elders is so important. It's not just one man ruling the roost over everybody. There's a group of men who meet together to discuss and to pray. Whenever we meet as elders, we always begin with prayer and the word. We're currently making our way through Romans. We read a section of the book. We talk about it. We discuss it. We think about its doctrinal implications. We think about its practical applications. Because we are first and foremost to be men of prayer and the word. It's clear that being an elder brings an authority with it that consists more than simply chairing business meetings. We do more than just advise people. We are to bring the word of God to you, to bear upon you. And the elders are to exemplify. If you haven't yet seen Graham and Stephen Amon slowly sinking down in their seats thinking, please don't look at me, you probably will now. They're to exemplify. It's a high calling this, you know. In case you're in danger of feeling downtrodden by the idea of elders ruling you, ruling over you, this point will show you the huge burden that actually lies on the shoulders of elders under God. The huge stewardship that God has set upon them The scriptures list 16 things, specifics, that elders are to exemplify in the life of the church. Steve, Graham, Eamon, are you listening? You're to be an example in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, purity, doctrine, manner, purpose of life, long-suffering, persecutions, afflictions, good works, integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. And you've got all the scriptures to look them up. I hope you pray for your elders. We're just sinful men, you know. We need God's grace. However much the elders may be watching and examining you, they have to examine and watch themselves even more even more according to James 3 verse 1 we are those who will be judged more strictly because of the responsibility that we bear under Christ over his church it's a weighty thing to be an elder but of course in all of those things that are said of elders they they need to be true of every Christian All of us should be maturing in the faith. All of us should be a positive role model for others in the church to be able to follow. See this scripture, we should be able to say, want to understand it, want to know what that looks like in practice. See him over there, see her over there. That's this, just follow them. We all need to be that kind of Christian who we can point to 
and say, look, th that's what it means in practice, in that person's life. Look at that, they're living it, that's it. But elders need to be leading the way in this. And finally, they're to serve. The whole thing is done in a spirit of servanthood. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. That's an interesting combination of terms, isn't it? Serving as overseers. We've just been thinking about Israel and Egypt. Israel were the slaves, the Egyptians were the overseers. But elders are to serve as overseers. Elders are to consider, consider themselves to be and behave like servants. Servants of Christ and servants of his church, having the heart of a servant. Now, of course, that's an important lesson that Jesus frequently had to teach his disciples. He, he modelled it to them in his own life. The one who created the worlds, kneeling down in front of them, washing their dirty feet. Servanthood. Serving as overseers. Elders rule by serving the church. And in their serving, they rule the church. It's actually quite wonderful. It's not how the world works, is it? It's not how the world sees things. The company boss does not consider himself or herself to be the servant of their employees. It's the other way round. They work for me. And they should be jolly well grateful of anything they get from me. That's the world. The elders are not here to be served by the members. The elders are to be your servants for Christ's sake. And this comes out in the scriptures which instruct us about how elders are to do all of this, which is our final few points. How are elders to do all this? Well, firstly, not as lords. Not as those who seek to control and dominate. Not, not as those who just love having dominion over people. The church is not my little kingdom in which I get to play out all my ideas of how church should be. That's not an elder. It's not my own little community for me to bear down upon, force them to take on all my personal convictions. That's not what it means to be an elder. Through elders who are serving as they ought to serve, the members of the church should not feel as if they're under tyranny. They should just feel as if they're under Christ and under his word. That's how elders serve. They're to do it as labourers, engaged in toil. Being an elder isn't something passive, it's hard. It should be hard work, toil. It's not just an office you hold. It's a type of life you have to live. And it involves labour. can be emotionally crushing sometimes. Being an elder of a church. It's hard. But they're to do it willingly and eagerly. 
because they're under Christ. Serving elders must want to do it, have a great desire in their heart to do it because they know they have to serve Christ and they can serve Christ in this particular way and the church has appointed them to do it. They mustn't need constant reminders and prompts from the rest of the church, although occasionally, because they are just men, they might need it. They must not be offered some persuasion in order to take it. They must be This must be service from a full and glad heart towards the Lord's people. It has to be earnest. Paul talked about three years spent with the Lord's people, night and day, and often with tears. Earnest. It's about heartfelt compassion and spiritual concern for the Lord's people and for the the glory of God in his church. It's about commitment and dedication and perseverance. And finally, it's to be with gentleness and affection like a loving parent. Paul could say to the Thessalonian church, I was like a nursing mother to you. You've seen a mother holding a newborn. You've seen the tenderness, the love, the care that she takes over that little one. That's how elders are to be with the Lord's people. You see in a father, a loving father with his children, wanting to nurture them, wanting wanting to instill into them everything that is good and right and godly and upright. That's the elders in the church. Loving parents don't provoke their children. They bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's an elder. Loving parents don't drive the children away in desperation. God's given us a blueprint for his church. And it begins with having elders in place over his church. It's a crucial thing, something we must take so seriously. Something we all need to be in prayer about constantly. But do remember, all of these things that the Bible places upon elders are all duties and responsibilities and characters and graces that every single believer should seek to example and live out. Forget for a moment that Paul is writing these things to Timothy, a man who was a pastor. And just think about these words for yourself in this church as we close. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you.
May we be the faithful local church that God longs and desires us to be. The Lord bless us and help us. Amen in these things.